Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello and welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey Blackburn. I'm your host and joining me today, a special co-host, Zach, aka Z-Dog, Wolever. What up, brother? How's it going? <laughs> We've First, never called you Z-Dog. No, never in my life. relationship. <laughs> now, mostly we call you Z. That's about it. What are your other nicknames? You probably have some good nicknames from the past, huh? Wooly is the Wooly. primary one. Zach Wolever, aka Wooly. Not to be confused with Wooly Mammoth at all. Maybe. <laughs> Zach is our next generation's pastor at Resonate Church. He has just transitioned into leading our kids' ministry, and he leads our student ministry. Uh, kind of just a jack of all trades, just an incredible, incredible leader. Um, and I love hanging with him, and I love to, to, the fact that we get to have him on the podcast here today. Um, he's going to actually be hosting us today as a co-host, Let's which go. is going to be crazy. Let's do it. Dude, today is the one-year birthday of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Isn't that it's a, nuts? It's an infant. It's an infant. That's right. It's an infant. And uh, hopefully it, it makes its way all the way to adulthood and continues to help people. But yeah, it is, man. One year birthday. I thought it'd be fun if we started out just talking a little bit about birthdays, mm. right? Because I, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, I enjoy birthdays, but there are some people who they really enjoy birthdays. They celebrate birthdays. Um, birthday weeks, birthday months. If you're one of those people, you need to repent for celebrating a birthday month, <clears throat> a.k.a. I will not say who it is, but maybe her name rhymes with Reagan <laughs> and <laughs> Reagan Miffiths. <laughs> she likes to celebrate birthday months. You know, July's coming up, and her birthday's coming up soon. That's a, that's a, that's a big enough Her birthday, birthday month present. is coming yeah, up soon. Yeah, her birthday month. The whole month is coming yeah. up soon. If you don't know, we have a gal on our staff named Megan, and she loves to celebrate her entire month, the entire month of July as birthday. I always give her a hard time about that. And so, but birthdays are fun. Birthdays are fun. You have an interesting birthday story, Zach? I do. Uh, my 17th birthday I was a junior in high school. And uh, the night before I separated my shoulder in a soccer game uh, was in a sling on my birthday. And you remember those shirts that said life is good? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had one with a soccer ball on it that said life sucks. <laughs> and so that 17th birthday in a sling walking around school, life sucks. Oh, it ended my up gosh. being that we went to the beach later on that day. It was about to be spring break. So it ended up being a good birthday. It wasn't too bad. It wasn't no, too bad. But when I woke up that morning, that's how I felt. <laughs> little, little punk teenage Zach. Oh, man. Well, we're, we're like trying to help explain to Weston and Natalia the nature of birthday and how they're going to operate in our house right now because Natalia's turning five this year. So Christy's planning this big birthday party for her, like huge. We're like doing flamingos and everything. In fact, she sent out this invite to people that said, hey, let's flamingle. Ha -ha, oh. Get it, right? So invite to this birthday party. It's all going to be this tropical flamingo theme. And Weston, the other day at the dinner table, was like, hey, what 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 are we going to do for my birthday? Because Weston's birthday is about a month or so after Natalia's, and he's turning four. And I had to break the news to Weston that, um, buddy, we, we're only going to do big parties for 
milestone birthdays. But how do you help a three, almost four-year-old understand <laughs> that, like, hey, bro, you're not getting a party, but your sister that's a year older than you is getting a party, and we're going big because it's her five-year, and you're only turning four, but when you turn five, wait for a year, you know, and you'll get a big one. And so we decided we're going to do milestone birthdays, five, ten, and we haven't quite decided from there because it gets a little convoluted. It's like 16, right, is a milestone, and yet 18 is also a milestone, so we're not sure how that's going to work out. But it's really hard to explain that to a three- and a four-year-old. <laughs> we might just gloss over his birthday this year. Be like, oh, I don't know what happened. Where did it go? We don't have a birthday for you. <laughs> oh, man. One time, uh, the staff threw me a birthday party. I walked into work, and they had this big banner with the letters hanging up. And the banner said, Hattie Bertdoy. <laughs> and I was like, okay, somebody doesn't know how to spell happy birthday. It turns out they just grabbed all the leftover letters from something they did in the kids' ministry. And they didn't have enough letters for happy birthday, so they just did a Hattie Bertdoy. That's close. So it is, yeah. So, so for birthdays, it's awesome. often a joke. People who are on that staff, they'll text me, Hattie Bertdoy, you know. <laughs> But I don't know. Do you celebrate your? I mean, what does what does celebrating birthdays look like for you? Uh, it it doesn't really look like anything. <laughs> it doesn't look like anything. For what me. you and Lauren? Lauren doesn't do any. Well, uh, the problem is, is that she hasn't had. She's been sick or hurt the last two birthdays. Uh, so I don't know what we're gonna do this year, but it probably should be very large. Yes, probably. You notice that? I mean, you're starting to do some marriage counseling and stuff. You'll notice that with couples, like one person inevitably has one idea of how birthdays should be celebrated. <laughs> Another person has a completely opposite idea of how. How does that work with your relationship? Uh, all I know is that I will get punched if I throw her a surprise party. Okay, so no surprises That's, that's whatsoever. the one thing I know. She does not like to be surprised. No. Dude, as long as you know that, I keep you out of the doghouse. Would you say she likes big to make a big deal out of birthdays? or? She doesn't like a big deal being made out of her. She doesn't okay. want to be a spotlight. Okay. So you got to find a nice sweet spot. Gotcha. She wants to feel valued exactly, and remembered and cherished, but doesn't want to be put on the spotlight. Exactly. That makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. Well, Christy's big on birthdays. So she's got, like on her Pinterest, she's got all these birthday ideas for like years to come. And I'm like, oh, geez. So, as long as you can get access to it, though. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing is I got to make sure I like look and get access and hack into her Pinterest. But <laughs> the, <laughs> the, um, the, the thing that's different about us is I'm not huge on birthdays because my parents were... They were like, um, they cut this deal. They were very shrewd. They were very smart about this. They cut this deal with me when I was little and my brother. They said, okay, you can either do a birthday party or you can do $50 cash. We'll give you $50 cash. And of course, they slanted the, you know, the, they skewed it a little bit. They'd be like, oh, you can either do a birthday party or you can do $50 cash. <laughs> and, you know, we're like six, seven years old when this precedent started. We're like, oh, my gosh, $50? Are you kidding me? You know how many G.I. Joes we could buy with that? You know, so we always opted for $50 cash. They always got out pretty clean on that one because... A party would have cost a lot more than fifty bucks, and had I been smart, I would have known I got I'd have gotten a lot more value than fifty dollars worth of presents if I had thrown a party. But they were pretty good about that. So, needless to say, birthdays were not that big of a deal for us as we were growing up. But this birthday today, yeah, this is a big deal. I'm excited. I'm excited to be here, hanging out. Thanks for hanging out with us. Do we have uh, Do we have any any reviews or any comments you'd love to share with us today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's been cool to look back on some of the reviews that people have written, some of the ways that this has impacted people over the past year. 
Um, in fact, our last podcast was with Andrew and Christy Ballman, and we we received a review, received a um, a note in here on the iTunes review spread, and it says, we lost our daughter to a stillbirth last spring and met Davey at an event. This podcast is one I listened to immediately as it was, as, th- this podcast is one I listened to immediately as it is released. The last podcast with Andrew and Christy Bauman was amazing and hit very close to our pain. Love every episode of the podcast. Um, I just think that's really cool that, you know, Andrew and Christy's story was that they had a stillbirth as well. And, you know, when we started this podcast, the, the hope was not that we start this podcast and, and just talk to everybody who's lost a spouse, even though that's parallel with our story. And even though a lot of our guests have this, a similar nature story, I love when we're able to, to talk to people who have a testimony coming out of a different type of pain, knowing that it's going to intersect people and give hope to people who, who share with that kind of pain. And so that really has become the the focus of, of this podcast, the hope for this podcast is that we just want to, you know, we know that the common denominator of life is pain. We want to help people as they're living and learning and leading through their pain. And we just want to, um, take any, any type of situation and be able to show it to people and say, Hey, no matter what you're going through, the, the hope that you have, the anchor for your soul is in Jesus. Yeah, that's good. Um, and you know, what we want, our heart is that we want this message of hope, the hope in the headphones, uh, from nothing is wasted podcast to be able to reach and help more and more people. Right. Um, and so if you're listening to this, I want, you to know, you can actually partner with us, um, and helping this hope get to more and more people. And one of the ways you can do that is by just going on, uh, to wherever you listen to your podcast and, and rating it, um, Mm -hmm. leaving a review, um, the more that we do that, the, the more access, the more visible this comes and the more people can, can reach this more easily uh, and get it in their headphones. But another way you can partner with us is, is through giving. Uh, because as you give, as you partner with us through giving, it allows us to bring on more guests. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows us to get this message out uh, to more and more people. And if, you, if you're interested in giving, uh, you can give at davyblackburn.com slash give. Or if you get to davyblackburn.com, there's a tab that says that. But really what you're doing is you're partnering with us to get this message of hope. It's not hype. Uh, but it's lasting hope that helps uh, to change people as they and, and walk with people through the pain uh, that they're currently in. Yeah, absolutely. I know we've talked about this before, but one of the things that keeps sticking in my mind is that I think Dave Ramsey is the, for, the one that originally I heard say this, is that transformation happens at the convergence of three things, content, coaching, and community. Mm. And in the middle of that, good content that's helpful for people, um, good coaching, somebody who's a guide that's walking them, you know, hand in hand, side by side, saying, hey, I've been there. I've experienced that. Here, let me show you. And community, other people who are currently experiencing it that can encourage you. And that's one of the things that we're hoping for and that we're seeing coming out of this podcast, this whole like nothing is wasted community that's happening, that we're going to continue to try to um, provide avenues and create inlets for people to connect with each other and connect with us. And, uh, and so we always appreciate that. So if you want to connect with us, if you have a story to tell, if you have something that, you know, just a testimony of how this podcast is helping you, we'd love for you to write in and tell us about that. Hello at resonateindy.com. 
We always love hearing about that. Uh, it's an encouragement to us. It reminds us, no, no cliche intended, but it reminds us that nothing is wasted, that yeah. our story and our pain is not going to waste, that God's using it, um, and he's using it to impact a lot of people. And so I'm excited about today's episode, one year of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thank you to those of you guys who have joined us for the entire year, or if you've picked up somewhere along the story, um, we're excited to be able to share this one year with you. We're excited about what this next year holds for us, but we've got a, we've got a fun interview today. It's going to be a blast, right? I'm so excited <laughs> about it. It's going to be great. We have a, some would say a very special guest. No, probably not that special to be honest with you, <laughs> <laughs> but let's just dive into this interview. It's going to be a fun one. All right, you guys. Well, I'm so excited to jump into today's interview with our special guest. He's one of my close friends. You guys know him as the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. We're so excited to be hanging out right here. <laughs> I feel like we just bamboozled everybody. We did. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but what I'm excited about is to kind of coincide with the year anniversary of, of this, the birthday. Um, You've you've released an ebook, yeah. Um, and so I'm curious, just first of all, like why why did you write this ebook? Yeah, absolutely. The ebook is called Thriving in Trial, um, and it's kind of a play on some of those words. You know, you'll see on the cover it says surviving, and then that's crossed out. And I, I wanted to write this ebook for a couple reasons. Um, one, with it's a very different book in nature than Nothing Is Wasted, the book. Um, now, Nothing Is Wasted, the book has not been released yet. And so this also was another reason why I wanted to release this ebook is right now we are currently waiting on all of Amanda's trial proceedings to be con completely concluded before we release the book. Um, just, you know, uh, full disclosure, which this has been out in the news, so it doesn't really matter if we actually disclose this, but um, I was asked to tender that book manuscript to the... Um, to the court because it has some very, um, uh, very detailed accounts of some of the things that happened the morning that I found Amanda. And, and so it has to be tendered as, as kind of evidence for that. And so we've got kind of a stop hold on that until everything is moved through and the, you know, everything's going really well with that. The book manuscript is, um, is in safe hands with all of that, but we want to make sure that we're honoring and respecting the process of justice for Amanda's case and don't want to release this book before it's time. We also trust that God's timing is perfect in all of that. Yeah. Um, that he is, that he is orchestrating this, this whole thing he has since um, the very beginning. He's not been surprised by any of this and that the book is going to release exactly when it needs to release to, um, to get into the hands of the, the exact people it's supposed to get into at the right moment. Um, and I think this is important because this was part of my story as well is that I read Levi Lusco's book through the eyes of a lion at exactly the moment that I needed to read it. I cannot emphasize enough how important it was that I just randomly came across Pastor Levi Lusco's messages um, and especially a message he did at Elevation Church where he talked about this book two weeks before Amanda passed away mm. and then put his book on reserve at the library and it didn't come available until three days after Amanda passed. And so that book really helped me a lot. And so I know just in confidence of the providence of God that he is orchestrating all of these, these events. But in the meantime, I said, you know, I've got, we've been doing a year of podcasts. We've got all of these different 
uh, guests who have come and talked about their pain, and I'm noticing some trends. I'm noticing some common denominators of all of these guests who, who are walking through pain well, and they're not just surviving, they are thriving. Mm. And I want to put a compilation together of what some of these common denominators are. And I want to put something out there that's going to be helpful. And so if, if I were to describe the difference between this ebook, Thriving in Trial, and the book, Nothing is Wasted, I would say Nothing is Wasted is kind of, a, it's more of a memoir narrative style where the reader gets into my head and, and walks with me through the first six months of healing from the loss of Amanda. And it's the what God showed me and how, and then thriving in trial is the, is the how-to. It's kind of the handbook. Okay. It's basically like, hey, I didn't know this going into my trial, but now coming out of it and coming on, on the other side of it, and as I'm talking with all of these other people who have walked through a very difficult valley, these are some things that I'm noticing that if you have in your life now, it's going to help prepare you for a trial, right? You're training for the trial that you're not yet in. Um, it's going to put a firm foundation in your life that you're going to be able to navigate the storms of life on, right? And then um, if you don't have these in your life and you find yourself in a trial, these are the things that, mean, if you put these in your life, if you begin to implement these practical things, you're going to see yourself surface from this trial, I think, quicker. You're going to heal from it quicker. Um, it's kind of like the catalyst that gets you moving in the right direction from heal uh, in healing. And so that was the point of writing this was like, I just want like a, almost a practical, not like a step-by-step step because it's not really like do this first, do this second, do this third, but like a handbook that just says, hey, these are the things that you need to begin intentionally putting into your life if you're going to heal from whatever trial you're going through. And it doesn't matter the type of trial. It could be a divorce. It could be a loss of a loved one. It could be a career crisis. It could be a wayward kid that, you know, is rebellious. It, whatever it is, whatever, whatever kind of pressure you're feeling in life, um, I believe all of these things help you to, to heal from those pressures and be able to not just survive in those pressures, but thrive in those pressures. Um, you know, Zach, we, we talk about this often, but Jesus said, right, that, that we're going to experience trials and sorrow, that we're going to experience grief. He didn't, you know, it's just such a, it's such a misnomer oftentimes in Christianity that, well, if you follow after Jesus, you're not going to experience any hardship. No, that's not true. He yeah. said like, bro, you're going to experience a lot. In fact, all the people that followed him, they ended up with the exception of Judas who hung himself because he betrayed Jesus. But the other 11 disciples, they ended up dying for their faith. Right. right? Yeah. They became martyrs because of what they believed and what they saw. And they were convinced of what they saw that Jesus raised from the dead. And even though the people didn't believe it, and they, and they, they even though they threatened them, hey, I'm going to kill you if you don't re renounce this, they're like, no. Um, and so if, those, if the followers of Jesus went through hardship and trial, if all the things that Paul describes, were, then you, you better believe we're going to also go through that. But Jesus tells us that. In this world, there's going to be trial, there's going to be tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And he says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life. And not just life that makes you survive, but life that allows you to thrive. He says, I, yeah. I've come that you may have life to the full. Good. And I believe we can. I believe we can have life to the full, that Jesus, it really is true where Paul says that he is able to do immeasurably more than all 
we can ask or imagine in our lives. And so I just wanted to write something that, you know, is just a very helpful guide for people that says, hey, here's how you thrive in trial. Um, so yeah, we're, we're releasing that today um, on the one year anniversary of this podcast. And hopefully it's going to help a lot of people. Yeah. Well, it's, it's great. Um, as I, as I was reading through it this morning, uh, I, I love the, the idea that there are 10 pillars mm. um, be, because we all think about building things and, you know, right. you see all, all the, the, the great stuff above the ground, but you talk about first and foremost, we have to lay a foundation. Right. That's correct. Uh, and before we can get into the 10 pillars, we got to have something to build them on. Yeah. Um, and so you kind of talk about before the 10 pillars, we have four corners of a foundation. Right. Um, and so the first corner, uh, you, you say it's the cornerstone. Yeah. Um, and then this is, this is kind of like the line here right under that. You can't operate in power without connecting to the power source. Right. So t- tell, me, tell me what that means, what power, and especially that power source really is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think there's a lot of like, uh, there's a lot of pop psychology out there that's going to, I mean, the largest section of a bookstore is always inevitably the self-help section, right? People are looking for help to walk through their depression and anxiety and their hurts and their trials and all of these things, how to improve myself, how to better myself through this. And all that's well and good. And there's some very practical principles and tips and those things are great. But foundationally, if we don't have a relationship with Jesus as the starting point for healing, then we're doing nothing more than trying to white knuckle our way through healing. Mm. We are, we are basically saying I can heal to the extent that I am awesome. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but I've realized multiple times, especially in seasons where life has just kicked me in the, in the butt. Like I realize I'm not that awesome. You know, I mean, we set New Year's resolutions every single year and it doesn't take very long for me. I don't know about the rest of the listener. Maybe you guys are <laughs> much better than I am. It doesn't take long for me to just bust those resolutions like crazy. I'm not very good at it. And so what I need, though, is I need a, an empowerment that's a lot stronger than me. I need the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to raise me back to life. Yeah, that's good. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And without that power, I have nothing to be able to avail me to, to healing. Nothing. I, I've got, I can put some life hacks and some tips and tricks in there and it might get me, it might move the needle a little bit and it might even like make me feel better. But at the end of the day, where, where is true healing without the, the perfect healer, right? Jesus, yeah. where's true comfort without the perfect comforter? The one who has walked through all of this stuff right? and who right. we have a, the Bible says we have a mediator. We have a high priest who has experienced all the temptations and trials that we'll experience. And he's the perfect guide for this. Mm. And not only will he show us and instruct us the way in which we should go, he'll also infuse inside of us the power to do so. Mm right? The power to resist temptation, the power to walk through trial, the power to have the strength to be able to, to stand in the face of adversity. And so that's the first corner, the first, you know, corner, it's the cornerstone, right? Jesus is called the cornerstone that the builders rejected. And if you take that, that stone or that corner out, the whole thing falls. For sure. Yeah. Right. Eventually you're building basically this Jenga pile (laughs) You know what I mean? That's going to eventually fall. It might look good initially, but eventually without the power of Jesus, it's going to fall. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Um, The second corner, uh, and you're going to have to explain this. Uh, (laughs) 
driving through the windshield. <laughs> what like what? So what, what in the world does that mean? Yeah. Um, well, I think the more I interacted with people who had experienced some kind of trial or loss, um, the more I recognized two different types of outlook in those people. One person, they're constantly have the outlook of what happened in my past, what happened back then. Um, they had the perspective of my best days are behind me. Mm. And so it causes them to be paralyzed because of their past. They're paralyzed. They can't move forward at all. And so I would interact with people like that. And um, I understood that. I totally understood the temptation of just getting sucked in and paralyzed by that. Because when, when, when I lost Amanda, I was like, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to find somebody that I can love as much as I, I love her. There's nobody, no way I can find companionship like that. And there's no way I can find a, a best friend to do life with, a ministry partner that understood me and understood the, you know, the intricacies and the delicacies of ministry and the way she walked through that really well. There's no way I can find And so I kept, I kept thinking, well, my best days are behind me. But God's Word tells me that my best days are in front of me. Right. And they always are. They are continually in front of me. And even though I can look back and say, man, I don't know how that's going to, you know, be be better than what it was, I can trust that God continues to, um, He is the perfect Father that gives good gifts. And so the idea of driving through the windshield is, con- is the, the adverse of that is driving through the rearview mirror, right? So if you're thinking about a car, you're driving a car, you can either drive through the windshield. In other words, you can look forward to where you're going, or you can be driving through the rearview mirror looking behind you at where you came from. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to look behind you, right, and to know where you came from. But notice the rearview mirrors are a lot smaller than the windshield, Mm. right? Our vantage point should, should be more like the the pie of our perspective should be tipped more toward looking forward, right? 80% or 85% or 90% of what we're looking at should be forward going, okay, I know God's going to do a new thing in my life. He's going to restore. He's going to heal. He's going to continue to carry me through this. You know, scripture talks about though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? The psalmist says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're not going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death by looking behind you. You're going to get stuck in the valley of the shadow of death. Right. And so we don't want to look through the rearview mirror. We want to look through the windshield. And I think this is imperative to laying a foundation for healing that we have to say, no matter how much I am just broken from my past, I know that the best is yet to come. My best days are not behind me. They are yet to come. And this is not just a hype mantra. This is an actual perspective and belief and hope and faith that there is something the, the, there's this evidence of something that we cannot see that, that is propelling us forward. And as long as we continue to move forward and continue to stay in motion, then God, there's the recipe there, um, the components that are necessary for healing. Yeah, I think as you were saying that too, one thing that stood out to me was that, uh, you know, we, we, we like to think I'm either looking through the, the front or I'm looking in the back. But I think one of the things that as we walk through pain, sometimes we also look to our side, we look in our side view yeah, mirrors that's good. and, and we, we can compare ourselves to where we're at versus where wow. either where we think we should be or other people are. And yep. um, I, I think that so much of the time we can be spent focused looking sideways or backwards when ultimately God has something bigger and better for us. Right. Uh, and that bigger and better might not be how we would define bigger and better. Right. Um, but ultimately God's best is our best. It's what's best for us. Exactly right. And so if we can keep our eyes forward, that means we're looking at Jesus, that he's the author and perfecter of our faith. So what that means is that he is continuing to write our story. Yeah. 
And if we keep our eyes on the author, right, then the perfect story is going to unfold. He's going to finish it. And so rather than looking at my friend and figuring out, well, I'm not as far along as they are, or they seem to be way behind where I am or whatever, and rather than looking behind at where I used to be, although it's good to look behind and go, wow, look how far I've come, right? right? It's not bad to look in the glance in the rearview mirror every so often. We've got to stay focused ahead. Yeah, Yeah. that's really good. That's really good. Um, Man, I think corner three uh, of of these four probably stood out to me maybe the most Mm. uh, because I've heard you talk about this to us, to our staff, and how you've been processing through uh, this the last couple years. But uh, this idea of coping versus curing. Mm. Um, and, and you can explain what that means, but one of the things that I think that you talk about here um, is this idea of selective numbing. Yeah. Um, and so if you could talk through that, I've, I've, you've, you've spoken with that to us, our staff and our, our, our group here up in Indy, but I think it's one of the most helpful things that, that right. we've learned through this process. Yeah. And I actually got this concept from my counselor where he, you know, I was talking about talking to him about just how like, uh, how ferocious the pain that I was feeling was, even physically. And, um, and he said, he said, Davey, your temptation is going to be to numb the pain, but you need to understand you can't selectively numb. Mm. So oftentimes we think that we can numb pain and yet still experience all the feelings of joy. He said, you can't. It's the same receptors, right? It's all the, the feelings of it, right? And so, so if you numb pain and you don't approach pain or run toward the roar as we talk about it sometimes, if you just numb it, try not to experience it, suppress it, you're also going to, by default then, suppress and numb the opposite of pain. So scripture talks about how there's a time for mourning and there's a season for that, but there's also a time for dancing and there's a time for joy. And if we want to experience the, the elation of dancing and the elation of joy. We want to experience the other side of it. We can't numb the, the painful side of things. We have to fully embrace the painful side of things so that we can then be able to fully embrace the joyful side of things. And this goes down to, and what I talk about in this um, por- portion of the ebook is that it comes down to us not just looking at the symptoms of things, but really driving down to the root right? It's not just like, okay, I'm going to kind of put a blanket over some of the symptoms. It's getting down to like the heartfelt, deep root issues that are going on and diving into those, digging those up, exposing those to light, talking about those, you know, and being willing to, to go to those deep places. And I think oftentimes in our culture, in fact, we're seeing a shift of this, even in the scientific community and in the medical community, um, you know, my, my wife now, Christy, she is a PA student. And one of the things that she's really passionate about is holistic medicine or functional medicine. And this is the idea that we are not just, um, we are a holistic person and that um, our mind and our body and our spirit are all tied in together. And so emotional health, mental health, spiritual health, physical health, all of these things are tied in together. And that oftentimes what the medical community has done, because it, it's where the money flows, is we've just put a blanket over things with, um, by numbing with medication. And so I know this is a very controversial issue. And the counselor that I saw is a psychiatrist, so he's able to prescribe medication. But one of the things he told me is, hey, we don't just want to like blanket your situation with medication. Because at the end of the day, then you're just coping and you're not really curing the heart issue Mm. and what's going on. And so 
you know, he, he encourages, Hey, like if we really need to put you on some medication to start you in that process of healing, it only needs to be a catalyst to regulate you. So we can actually then dig down to the deep heartfelt issues, but we don't want you to become reliant on those things. And medication can be a prescribed drug or it can be self-medication. Right. It can be something that you do, right. It can be alcohol or it can be, you know, pain medication, or it can be a relationship or it can be a job. It's anything that you're doing to try to numb the pain that you're feeling because you don't want to approach that pain. And the more I um, step into just um, walking through this stuff with people and walking through it myself, the more I realize there's so much benefit to just stepping into the pain because it allows you and opens up the ability for you to experience joy on the other side of it. I describe it sometimes like this. Waves of grief are often followed by waves of grace. Mm. But if you don't experience the waves of grief first, you don't really get to experience the waves of grace. I think even our last podcast, one of them, Andrew or Christy Ballman said that if you want to experience the resurrection of Jesus, you have to first walk through some of the sufferings of it as well. Wow. You don't have one without the other. So let's not selectively numb. Let's not try to put a blanket over our symptoms. Let's actually dig to the deep root of things. And um, so that's what that corner is all about. It's good. That's good. Well, the last corner as we're laying this foundation uh, is is your investment. Um, yeah. And so you say you and I must take ownership of our healing. Right, right. Yeah, I, and I think this really comes down to any kinds of um, anything that we do in life, we're going to get out of it what we put into it, right? And so when it comes to healing, I knew for me that it was going to take some investment, not just of, so it was going to take investment of my time. Right. I couldn't just like <laughs> just gloss over this. And this was important because the how healthy I am in the future for my my family, for my son, for my church was going to be directly contingent on the time that I took to invest in my healing. Right. But this is also going to um, take some investment monetarily money. It's going to take a monetary investment for you to heal. Um, and so I, I paid for, you know, um, the counselor that I went and saw was extremely expensive, but was worth it, you know? And, um, and so this is, this is one of the reasons I even say very clearly in the blog post that we released that the rest of this ebook after these four corners, we're actually charging for it. Now it's not a lot, but I know a tangible difference when you invest in something, you're actually more apt to follow through with it. You're more apt to do something about it. You're more apt to actually apply it. Um, it's similar to like, I mean, you know, I know I talk about this a lot, but I enjoy CrossFitting. And when I first saw how much it cost to CrossFit, I was like, this is insane. I could just pay 20 bucks a month to go over to Globo Gym, you know, LA Fitness and do that. But what I realized is that if I actually make this like tangible investment that hurts a little bit, I'm actually more apt to get to, to go, okay, I got to get my money's worth here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to apply sure. myself. And I'm yeah. seeing better results physically from that because I'm, I've made a financial investment. And so, um, you know, you're going to have to, and I talk about through the rest of this ebook, you're going to have to be willing to make some financial investments for you to get away and do some traveling, for you to um, maybe find a hobby that is going to be a financial investment that's going to help you to stay in the game and thrive in your trial. And there's going to take some some financial investments relationally in your marriage, right? Maybe your trial is that your marriage is falling apart and you haven't invested time or money into that marriage. And I promise you it's going to take, in order for that to thrive, it's going to take some personal investment. So to the degree that you invest personally in this is the degree that you're going to see returns from this in by way of healing. Hmm. Good. That's good. Well, let's go ahead. We've laid our foundation. Uh, so pillar one 
yeah. is is the Bible, B I B L E. Mm-hmm. That's the book for me and all of you as well. <laughs> um, so 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 why why do we start there? Um, well, I started there because it kind of goes back to that same idea of like connecting to the power source, but um, the the Bible is it's not just like a it's not just like a how to guide but it has a so many good helpful and healing principles for us that when we put those principles into practice in our lives sometimes it doesn't make sense but god moves through them supernaturally mm. the bible is and i've heard it a bil- said a billion different ways right it's god's love letter to his people that it's um that it is a a roadmap for life you know that all these different things but essentially what it is is it is um, it is God's way for our lives, and He created us to be healthy, thriving human beings. Now, sin has crippled that, and sin will continue to f- fracture that until until Jesus comes back and makes everything right for good. But even in Scripture, He lays out this really um, clear pathway for us to overcome the effects of sin right? And it's by his son, Jesus, dying on the cross for us, raising from the dead, the Holy Spirit empowering us and teaching us the truth, his way of how to operate life, how to love people, how to, what, what to believe, what not to believe. And so scripture is this, like, essentially this, this guide for that. Mm. Um, and, and it's amazing the promises of God that are in scripture. And, and yet, we don't know the promises of God, so we don't know how to combat lies that we're hearing about ourselves, wow. right? The voices that we kind of hear, the insecurities or the false, the, the, the bad self-talk that we end up buying into. We don't know how to combat that because we are not consistently engaging with God's Word in Scripture. And um, I remember it was probably three or four days after Amanda passed away that I started diving back into Scripture, um, I woke up in the morning and I was just opened up God's word and was so desperate to hear something from God. Right. And when you're in that kind of place where you're desperate to hear something from God, he will show you. Absolutely. He will show you. Cause I was tuning everything out, all the other voices, all the other noise, everything else. My phone wasn't distracting me. Computer wasn't, people weren't distracting me, nothing. And I was like, God, I need to hear from you. And scripture, scripture tells us that it is living and active that's it's sharper than a double-edged sword, that it will speak to us in the moments that we need it to speak to us. It's God's word to us. And we say this a lot, that you're not going to understand God's will for your life outside of God's word. But I would say that all, for all of these reasons, it's imperative to begin making a regular practice of reading God's word if you're not already. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that I talk about oftentimes is that I'm really glad that God's word was really pressed into me growing up while I was in, you know, I was in church. I grew up in church. My dad's a pastor. Uh, My mom was the kids director. And so they were constantly teaching us God's word. And I didn't know the benefit of that until this thing happened where my life got squeezed. This pressure came in on me and we we call it a, a, a sponge experience, right? That when your life gets squeezed, what comes out of it is what was already in it. And so for years, my parents and the people around me were putting investments and deposits of God's word in me so that when my life got squeezed, what I knew to be true just kind of came out of, right? What I knew about God's word that told me the promises that were a direct contradiction from what I was experiencing, 
right? It was like, I'm not experiencing hope right now. I'm not experiencing life right now. I'm not experiencing, and yet God's word is telling me mm. that this is, this is going to result in hope. This is going to result in life. This is going to result in transformation for people. This is going to result in nothing is wasted. God's using this for his, for your good and for his glory. And so I didn't, I didn't see that in front of me, but God's word is what kept me believing that. And so, um, it becomes this rock, this foundation for us that Scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 7, the wise man builds his house on the rock. Right. And when the storms come, boom, not if the storms come. When the storms come, the house will not fall. Yeah. And, and then it tells us another story, that there's a foolish man builds his house on the sand. And when the storms came, his house fell to, with a crash. And Jesus looked at his disciples and the people that were listening to him tell this story and he basically he basically dissected those two stories by saying the difference between the person who built their house on a rock person who built their house on the sand is that the person the wise man who built his house on the rock heard my words and put them into practice it's good listen to read the, in our translation read scripture right god's word and put it into practice and that's why i think that that is the first pillar that we have to put in place if we're going to build a a house, right, um, or build a structure that is going to be a healing structure in our lives. How would you encourage somebody who maybe has, they've never read the Bible before or they've tried before and they've stopped and gotten yeah. discouraged and frustrated? How would you encourage them? Yeah, that's, that's a really good. Um, so my encouragement would be to start somewhere, right? Now we would tell you, hey, don't just start anywhere because you might get discouraged in certain parts of Scripture um, my encouragement would say it would be start with some of the story of Jesus. You know, I love the book of Luke because I think it's a very detailed account of Jesus. Some people would say start with John. I think John can be a little bit confusing even sometimes. Yeah, but like if you read the book of Luke and the book of Acts, right. you get the story of Jesus written by the author Luke. Um, and then you get basically the story of the early church and why the church started written also by the author Luke. And so you get this this one man's perspective of probably the the crux of the whole thing, right. and it gives you an understanding of who Jesus is. And so my suggestion would be, if that's where you're going to start, start the book of Luke and just start reading that. And I would say, start with 10 or 15 minutes every day. You know, we throw this phrase around a lot that 15 minutes a day, every day will change the rest of your days. Um, but I think it's going to be something that as you put it into practice, you're going to see the benefits of it, like coffee, right? <laughs> Maybe when you first start drinking coffee, you got to drink the real sweet stuff, the like caramel macchiato or the caramel mocha. That's, that was my choice drink where you could like lick the chocolate from the bottom of it. Right? And you get done <laughs> and you're like, oh, chocolate. Like the, you start with the real sweet stuff that's easy to palate. But then as you progress and as you continue to develop a taste for or a palate for God's word, just like coffee, you'll start to, to, to crave the, the deeper, richer stuff. And you'll start to understand the whole of it. And I would say, you know, first of all, dive into this to this ebook. We I give some practical help there, but also we've got some practical help as well, where you and I yeah. spent eight well, we spent uh, several hours recording eight weeks of this video curriculum of how to read your Bible. And it's super helpful curriculum. Um, we will try to put that on my website or a link to that on this podcast page, and um, and you can go and 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 you know, watch some of those to just get, get you started on how to read the Bible. Good. That's good. All right. Well, pillar two, uh, you say it's, it's a church community. So not just a church, 
Right. But a church community. Right. That's a good distinction right there because I think you can go to church and not really be in community, right? Some people can slip in and out of church and remain anonymous, but I think it's important that, that there is a church community. And, and here's why. This is what I've seen as a pastor. I see that oftentimes, um, and this is just, this kind of just what happens to us, right? Like when life's going well, we don't really need God, Mm. or at least that's our perspective, right. and we don't really need church. So when life's going well, that's usually when we're vacating for the weekend, we're going to the lake, we're going to the beach, we're not, you know, we're doing house projects, we're not going to church. But it's amazing how, how many times I see when all of a sudden things hit the fan in life, people will go to church, you know? Um, uh, 9-11, right? You talk to a lot of folks who were doing church back then or pastoring a church back then. They say, man, they saw a massive uptick after September 11th happened uh, of church attendance because all of a sudden the world's in crisis. People are in crisis. They're like, oh, no. And so they run to church. Well, the problem with that is this. I mean, it's a great thing. You want to run to God when, when things are going bad, but you want to be tied into his church community when things are going well, too. Right. Because the strengths of the bonds that you create in community when things are going well are the things that are going to hold you when things are going bad, mm. right? It's, this, it's this, this strong net that is woven during the good times that catches you in the bad times. I think that's what church community is. It is a community of people that believe and can encourage, that can stir you up and, and spur you on, encourage you in your faith, it's a people that have said, hey, I've gone through some really tough stuff too. Let me let you borrow my faith. And we'll often see people will come to church when they're in crisis, expect church people, the community to help them. And yet there has not been any investment of relationship prior to that. Mm. And so they get frustrated because they're like, well, people aren't helping me or nobody's my friend in this. Or it's like, well, but you, but when things were going well, you weren't making that as a part of your community, your, your livelihood. And so, um, I think it's super important that, that we make church community just part of our regular, uh, ritual. You want to have the kind of, I remember Levi Lesko said this one time and I, it just stuck with me. You want to have the kind of community that beats you to the hospital when a crisis happens in your life. Cause they're so attuned to your life. Wow. They're wow. so attuned to your life. And so, um, I'll never forget, you know, and I write about this a little bit in the ebook. I'll never forget this couple that came in to our church, um, who they, they basically were having a crisis in their life. And they were like, Hey, we, we knew that our, our church couldn't handle our mess. And so we decided to come because we thought, you know, we heard about your story. We thought maybe that you guys could help us through our mess, but our, but, but our church is essentially, they were saying our church is too perfect to deal with us messy people. And so I think, you know, on one side of things, it's a really, um, frustrating thing as a pastor to watch churches who are stiff arming people who have a mess. Right? right. But also on the other side of things, what I'm telling and trying to speak into people who find themselves in the middle of a mess is find a church that can handle your mess. Yeah, that's good. And find a church that will walk beside you in it. Yeah. I know one of the things that, that we say all the time, uh, at resonate is that when you come through the doors, we, we don't want anything from you. Right. We want everything for you. Uh, but in this ebook, you say, it's going to require something of you. Right. Can you explain that? Yeah, absolutely. So in order for you and I to have healing, well, here, let me back up. What happens oftentimes when you walk through trial and when you get hurt, especially oftentimes your trial is a result of somebody else hurting you. And so 
you start to buy these, buy into these things like, oh, well, I can't trust anybody because that person betrayed me or that person hurt me or that person, right? And so you become calloused and you become jaded toward people and relationships. So what it does is it causes you to not be vulnerable, causes you not to want to be exposed because you're just trying to protect yourself. And this is often how we approach community with this very skeptical, untrusting type nature. And what it's going to require of us to do is to put down those guards, to open ourselves up and to allow for um, the breath of healing to come over us like Mm -hmm. air needs to come over an open wound, right? If I just put a Band-Aid over an open wound, then it will continue to stay an open wound, right? I can, it covers it up. It protects it for a little while. That's fine. But eventually I've got to take that Band-Aid off, expose it to the air in order for it to really find the true healing and, and, and for it to be exposed to the, um, to the elements again, and, and, it, and it gets strong as well. And so that's what, that's what's going to require of us is to let down our guard, to expose our lives again, be vulnerable in that. And I'm going to tell you, this is difficult. Um, right. It's very difficult. I found myself fighting the temptation of this a lot. Like, man, I've been hurt. I've been um, exposed. I feel like my life's on display. And now I just want to like guard up and, and you know, kind of crawl into my own hole. And the reality is, is people want to help and people want to be here for you. And there are trusted people that you can't open your lives up to or your life up to, and they can be some of that, um, some of that spirit filled breath over your open wounds. Um, you know, uh, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Christy and I right now are experiencing this together where we're like, we both walked through a season where we're like guarding ourselves because we both experienced hurt in our past. And now we're stepping into joining our lives together and realizing, man, the only way you and I can share a real true intimacy that's going to be healing in nature for both of us is if we just let down our guard and be vulnerable with each other, trust each other. And so church community, I think, is um, a great, safe healing place for that. So yeah. we offer some very practical you know, advice on that in the ebook, and I think it's really, I think it's just really helpful. Good. That's good. All right, the third pillar here uh, is is new places. Uh, and so I know that you are a creature of habit, that you are <laughs> OCD, um, that you're consistently going to get the same thing at Chipotle. You're going to get the same <laughs> thing true. from Starbucks, right? Like I've eaten at Chipotle enough, I could probably order your bowl <laughs> for true. you at this point. Uh, but you talk about the fact that we need to go to new places. Yeah. Uh, elaborate on that. Yeah, this is a little bit um, interesting. And I wasn't really sure I was going to include this in the book until I started realizing, wait, this was a major catalyst for healing for me. And this is something I see that is parallel with a lot of people who do heal well. And that is that um, sometimes we have to, well, sometimes what, what God wants to do out of our pain is he wants to use that pain to move us into change, move us into adjustments, right? It would be wasted if we walked through some traumatic, horrific tragedy or trial and we came out on the other side of the same person. That would be awful because then it's wasted. Um, and, and so one of the things that God wants to do out of it, I'm not saying he necessarily put that tragedy in your life in order to catalyze this, but what he wants to do out of it is he wants to change you. And so... Um, sometimes that stuff will cause different, like, uh, you know, um, different abrupt changes in your life that, that is, is helping you actually to see the world from a different perspective. So in the first year of 
after we lost Amanda, um, I did a lot of traveling. And some of it was, you know, I would not have done that traveling had Amanda still been in my life. We would have continued to walk through the same, you know, routines or patterns of life. But because I did a lot of traveling and I was exposed to a lot of people with a lot of different perspectives and exposed to a lot of life circumstances that other people had gone through, it began to help my perspective a little bit more. It helped me realize, wait, I'm not the center of the universe. (laughs) Hello, surprise. Wait, I am actually kind of small in this whole grand scheme of things. My tragedy isn't this isolated thing. Other people have experienced it. Wait, and it started just reframing for me my tragedy. And I started realizing, wait, this was this was because I was I was in different places and new experiences. You know, I think I heard Judd Wilhite say this one time as a pastor in Las Vegas that new pace, new pace, new place leads to new perspective. It's good. And so while tr- tragedy causes some of those abrupt changes in your life, I wonder what it would look like if we just every once in a while like just changed mm. some things and how that could cause growth in our life to become a more thriving human being. You know, um, and I, and I relate it this way a little bit. Let me go back to CrossFit. I'm sorry about this, but all the time, if we go, if we go into the gym, I used to go in and do this like traditional back and buys and chest and tries. And, and I would do the same routine over and over and over and over and over and over every single week for a while. Initially I saw some good results, but after a while I wasn't seeing any results. Why? Because my muscles were not being confused. And the key to growth with muscles physically is muscle confusion. Changing the routine all the time, constantly varied motions, constantly, right? And I'm not saying in our life we need to constantly vary up because that would be unpredictable. We would lose <laughs> trust with people. It would be completely inconsistent. But the principle holds true that if you do vary it every once in a while, if you do change some things up, you do create a different perspective or force yourself into a different thing or to try something new or into uncomfortable spaces, it will cause you to grow. It will help you um, when it comes to healing in whatever that tragedy is. And it helps you, and I think this is where it really comes down to, it helps you to divorce yourself from maybe the old way of life or the old thinking that was dominating you and step into a new way of life or a new thinking. Right? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. In other words, before you met Jesus, this is the way you used to think, the way you used to operate, who you used to roll with, what you used to say, but now be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right. So you used to be in this rut of this pattern and this routine and these old habits that have formed in you. And it's going to take quite a bit of disruption mm. for you to get out of that rut. You got to change some things really, it has to be a hard nosed change. And, um, and you've got to go a different direction. And so I, what I would say is in order to get out of a rut, you've got to create new routes, mm. new places, new experiences, new people in order to get out of some of the old mindset that has been dominating your thought life. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, can, you, can you practically speak to that? Um, just what it looked like for you when you would maybe even change, change your place. So maybe you're, you would travel or you do something. Yeah. What practically did you do in those times to uh, just have purpose in that and not just be kind of aimlessly wandering around? Right, absolutely. Yeah, because there's a very clear difference between like, for instance, travel, travel just for the sake of escaping. That's not healthy, right? 
but traveling for the sake of, wait, I need to just kind of get my head above this and I need to, um, I need to really find some different perspective. So I think practically for me, what that meant is, um, okay, if I'm going to go to a place that I've never been before, right. Experience some things I've never experienced. Let me find some people there that are going to really help to speak truth into my life and provide a different perspective for me. Right. So, um, you know, there was, you and I traveled to out West for, for about a week and a half together yeah. and we got to see some different places. I mean, we went for a hike for a little bit that honestly that our hike, we came across the most gorgeous yeah. setting I've ever seen in my entire life at Avalanche Lake in Montana. And that hour hike was a, it was not something that we, we don't see those things in Indiana, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> Indiana we don't. Flat cornfields. <laughs> But because of that, what it did is it just reshaped my perspective. It allowed, you know, you and I had a lot of dialogue. We, we also had some time where we just were quiet. Right. And I was able to just listen to the Lord. And I was getting out of my normal routine um, so that I could tune down all of the other voices, tune down all of the other distractions, tune down all the notifications that normally would have taken place in my normal routine and just have the space to hear from God have the space to hear from different perspectives. So, you know, maybe that means like um, finding something that's just outside of your normal routine, like a, doing something like a hike or something like that, or going to a new city. Every time I go to a new city or every time I see new things, it's amazing how immediately new perspective comes into my life. I can't explain it. It's just like this, wow, I feel like I'm getting my head above the stress a little bit. Yeah, that's good. You know? Um, but then also being able to connect with someone that I know maybe in that city that's like, hey, this is a pastor that's a little bit further ahead, or this is someone who's experienced a similar tragedy, and I just want to go and talk to them and see how they're dealing with this. And that has also helped change my perspective a little bit. You that's know? good. That's good. Like you said, new new place, new pace, right. new perspective. That's what we want. Absolutely. So we don't get stuck where we are. Um, pillar four, this is something that that you and I are really good at. Uh, and certain other people might not be as much uh, like my wife, but pillar four is to talk it out. Yeah. Uh, so, so tell me more about that. Well, obviously, um, I'm not short of words. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm actually trying to curtail that a little bit, learn how to speak less and listen more. But I will say this, that, and this is, uh, this is age-old um, psychology. This is age-old what they call cognitive behavioral therapy. This is just beginning to express your emotions, express what you're feeling in some sort of medium, right? So whether it be writing or talking or whatever it is, right? Um, you've somehow got to begin to put language to what you're feeling. I noticed one of the things that I'll hear you say to Weston so many times is use your words. Yes. Uh, to the point where Lauren and I say that to our dog now when he <laughs> he obviously has to go out. Use your words. Use your words. Use your words. <laughs> but you're trying to train Weston exactly. um, to, to do this. Well, yeah, because emotions can really frustrate you and they can become so overwhelming as long as they're bottled up inside. But if you can begin to put language to your emotions... What it does is it flips the the power there, right? So emotions inside feel like they have so much control over you, so much power over you. And yet we're called not to be controlled or enslaved by anything, mm. right? In fact, Scripture says, take every thought captive and make it a slave to Christ. Wow. And this helps us to be able to not be ruled by our emotions, but to almost rule our emotions, 
You know, we, we've said this a lot um, as we're pastoring people and we're helping people, but, you know, we say, hey, don't let your emotions drive your decisions, right? But let truth drive your decisions and your emotions will eventually follow. Good. One of the things you said is that emotions should be a gauge, not a guide. Right. That's exactly right. And so in order to do this, what you have to do is you have to begin putting language to your emotions because honestly, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Sometimes you don't really know as you're processing something emotionally, you're not even really sure what side is up and what side is down as you're feeling it. So I'll give you a little bit of a case in point. Even yesterday, now at the time of this, that this is releasing, it was over a week ago now, but yesterday we went into the courtroom and we, I sat in a courtroom and saw another one of the guys that was being charged for murder um, of, of Amanda, saw him face to face for the very first time where he gave, he issued a plea agreement. And so, um, you know, it, it was on the news, people have followed that and stuff. But afterwards we were walking away from the courtroom and our executive pastor, John, we were walking back to the car. He drove me there and, and he goes, hey, how are you feeling? And honestly, I did not want to tell him how I was feeling because I was feeling a lot of things. Like I was feeling a lot of different emotions and I didn't even know, you know, people will say, hey, how you doing? And you can kind of give this trite, oh, I'm good answer. And, but I've learned that in this whole process, if I'm, if I'm feeling something and I really, need to, I really need to process it out loud, I need to talk to somebody about this. And so I've had to train myself that if I keep it inside and I just say, I'm, I'm okay, I'm good, it's going to erupt later. It's going to like come out somehow. I'm going to like, what did our counselor call it? We're, we're going to ooze. Ooze. <laughs> we're going to yeah. ooze this like negative emotion, negative energy. And oftentimes these lies that will compound or that we're believing that will compound this negative energy. So we ooze it out. So instead of oozing it out, I want to like talk this thing out. That's good. And so I, I just started telling John, well, John, I'm feeling a lot right now. Um, this is how I feel about those men. And I just like kind of listed all the emotions that I'm feeling about them. And it was very helpful. I started putting language to it. And then later that night, um, Christy and I went for a walk and she goes, hey, how are you feeling about this morning? Um, and, and so I was able to even further articulate because I had had some time to, one, already put language to it and then process the language I'd put to it. And now I could articulate it even more. And one of the things she said as I was talking to her, she goes, you should really write a lot of this down because she knows that me writing some of this stuff has really helped me to process and put even better language to my emotions. So no matter what medium it may be, I would encourage you to talk about it with a trusted advisor or counselor. I would encourage you to put, put writing to it, take, have a journal that you just kind of process out loud some of your emotions. Um, but, but that's something that's been super helpful for me. One, I've been forced into it, you know, in a lot of ways, cause I'm yeah. a, I'm a public speaker and, um, and, and I, I share a lot on, on a podcast or in front of our church or when we speak with other people or we counsel other people. But then too, I've realized that it is very, very, very helpful to not bottle it up inside. And again, it's because the, the language, if I don't put language to something, if I don't label something, then it will dominate me. And if I want to gain dominion over it again, I've got to put language to it. That's good. Adam was given dominion of the earth. And the first assignment in his dominion of the earth was name the animals. The person who has dominion has the naming rights. That's good. Right? And Jesus has dominion over us and all of the earth, right? We are his children. We are his people. And so we've got to give naming rights to him, right? He names us, not anybody else, right? I'm not, um, 
I, I, I'm not worthless. He says that I'm, I'm worthy. Right. Right. He calls me worthy. I'm not a sinner. He calls me a saint because of what he did for, so he has naming rights for me, but then he has also given me the power to name my circumstance. So it doesn't have power over me. Naming it is putting language to something. And, and, and you want to do that verbally, you want to do that in writing. So that's good. I think one of the things too, I'd encourage um, our listeners, maybe, maybe there's somebody in your life who has experienced pain. They're going through yeah. something difficult. Uh, and one of the things that our team learned that was really helpful is to ask the question, tell me more. Mm. So I guess that's a statement almost. Right. You should probably pose it as a question <laughs> so you're not in their face. <laughs> tell but me more. As they're processing those things, maybe they, maybe they won't spill out as much as you know they're holding back. Right. Just tell, tell me more. Yep. And then they might give you a little bit more and then you might get to ask again. Yeah, and, absolutely. Hey, tell me more. That's so good. Um, we can help people do this, yeah. uh, especially for those people who, unlike us, actually do have a stopper for their mouth um, and it doesn't all just come <laughs> flying out all the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, and I know this this next pillar, you 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 originally wanted to include it uh, with within pillar four, but right. you decided it was so important yep. uh, that you would make it its own pillar. It needed to stand on its own. So this, this fifth one... Um, is is biblical counseling. Can yeah. you explain first and foremost, what's the difference between biblical counseling and counseling? And just counseling. Yeah, absolutely. So biblical counseling is going to come from a perspective of scripture from the Bible. Um, and this is what I tell people when, when we counsel people. I mean, this is all the way from the very first time a man and I went to a counseling session and we learned how to counsel people as pastors, is I tell people, hey, the words that I have to say to you hold no power outside of the power of scripture. So it's, it's me speaking God's principles and God's scripture into your life that is the only thing that holds value and holds power. It's not my opinion or my experience that holds value or power. Um, God's word says that it will not return void, that it will accomplish what it has been set out to do. And okay. so um, this is the power of biblical counseling as opposed to just kind of pop psychology or any other form of counseling. Biblical counseling is going to... Um, is going to put that uh, and infuse that um, most important foundational layer of God's truth and God's ways and God's principles uh, as, again, the foundation of your healing. And so you want someone who knows how to handle God's word and can speak God's word to you to combat the things that you're believing, the lies that you're telling yourself. A lot of healing is just combating lies, Mm. right? A lot of emotional healing is just combating these things that you feel like are true, but are not true. Um, Jesus did this when he was tempted in the desert, right? Satan came to him and questioned his identity and, and basically tried to, tried to insert lies into Jesus's head. And the way that he combated it was with God's word. And he was able to handle God's word in that moment. And it gave him the power and authority over Satan right there. Our own experience and our own wisdom and our own intellect does not give us power and authority over Satan. Right. Right. And so um, I think that's the difference between a biblical counselor. And you can even, you can even ask, you know, like um, the counseling, if you're going to a counseling um, center or firm, or you're looking on their website or something, you can see whether they're a biblical counselor or whether they're, you know, another kind of counselor. I would, I would say, I think it's imperative that you see a biblical counselor in that. And the reason I decided to make this a separate chapter is because it is super important. I think talking it out is, uh, or what I, what I have in pillar four with talking it out is more along the idea of like talking with a trusted friend, 
talking with someone who, you know, you can just process that out with or writing it and stuff. A counselor is going to be more of a coach mm. and you, or a guide or a guide. Yeah. And you're going to a friend, not necessarily, it's great if they can, you know, also be a counselor to you, but you're really kind of going to just vomit on them, so to speak, verbal yep. vomit for them to just listen not necessarily to solve the problem right. for you. You're going to a counselor to dig in deep and solve the problem. Yeah. It's all about the hat you let, you let somebody wear. Exactly. And if someone's wearing the friend hat, they probably don't need to try to wear the counselor hat as well. Right. That's exactly right. And so you do have to make sure that those boundaries are drawn pretty clearly. You know, oftentimes when my wife is trying to uh, just tell me about her day, she doesn't want me to solve a problem. She just wants me to listen, to be connected to her in that, right? Um, and so, but if I'm going to see a counselor, um, I'm giving them permission to really dig in and honestly tell me some things that I don't like. Right. Because they're going to do that. They're going to, they're going to, in a very loving and caring, but also very truthful way, like a velvet brick, right? right. They're going to be able to tell me, hey, this is where you're believing a lie and this is the truth that it needs to be replaced with. And biblical counseling is, um, I think, imperative. And here's the deal, Zach, you, you and I both know this, that counseling gets this bad kind of reputation. Like it if does. you're in counseling, they're like, people are like, oh, something must be really wrong with you. And we say this a lot, but bad people don't need counseling. All people need counseling. Yeah. I think it's just so great to have trusted advisors, coaches in your life, counselors in your life who can say, hey, this is how you need to change. This is what needs to, the thought patterns need to change in your life. And they can really speak into those situations for you. Yeah, I think one of the things uh, is that our enemy knows that uh, as we begin to apply these things, mm -hmm. that we're going to actually experience the freedom that Jesus wants us to. Right. And so what he will do is he will uh, he will put shame on something that's actually supposed to set you free. Yeah. Um, and so you'll be so caught up with, oh, what are people going to think about me? Right. That ultimately you miss out on what God wants for you. Right. Uh, and right. that's what the power that can come with not only all these things, but I think specifically yeah. biblical counseling. And and in this in in this ebook, Zach, we kind of list out some. Hey, here's some ways that you can find a good biblical counselor. Here's some things to consider as you're looking for one. And so you can definitely, as you download the ebook and read through it, you can definitely find um, some of those practical steps to do that. But if you have any questions, what we would love to do, and part of the dream for the Nothing Is Wasted community is that we can help to connect you to a counselor in your area. Right. Now, we don't have the resources to do that yet, but we're building those resources. We're building those pools. So I would say, if you're listening to this and you are in a city where you know of a good biblical counselor, would you email us at hello at Resonate Indy and tell us about that good biblical counselor. Refer us to that, you know, so if you're in San Francisco or you're in New York or you're in, you know, Des Moines, Iowa. Is that right? <laughs> Des Moines, Iowa? Or is it Idaho? I don't know. Is it Des Moines? I, I just threw out an arbitrary city. Watch. That was totally providential. There's going to be someone from Des Moines, Iowa <laughs> that's going to write and be like, I know a great biblical counselor here in this area. For but, the other three people there, it's going to be great, right? <laughs> exactly. And so the if you know of somebody that's a great biblical counselor, shoot us that referral. We would love to start building a database so that we can connect people to a great biblical counselor in their area because I believe in it so much that I want to get you connected to a good church community and a good counselor. Yeah, I agree. I mean, literally when this thing's over, I'm getting in my car and I'm driving That's over right. for counseling this afternoon. That's true. That's very true. So yeah, so that's the first five pillars of uh, the 10. There's five of 10 that we just talked about. Um, we're not going to be able to have time to talk about the other five, but 
people can go and download the book. Yeah, I, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to to go and download it. It's great. It's great. And let me tell you where you can download that ebook. You can download it at davyblackburn.com slash ebook. Simple, right? Super simple. Super simple. davyblackburn.com slash ebook. It is there on sale for $4.99, $4.99. But for our podcast listeners. If you call now. <laughs> for our podcast listeners, we wanted to give you a special discount. So if you put in the discount code podcast, that's it, just podcast, you'll get a special discount for that, 20% off of it, um, which for a $5 book is a dollar, which is all. But hey, you know, that I honestly, when I go through iTunes and I'm like, do I rent this in HD or SD? One dollar's a difference. Oh, me. yeah. I'm like, I'll just do SD, right? So podcast listeners, put in the promo code podcast and get that 20% discount. Um, but davyblackburn.com slash ebook to download your copy of Thriving in Trial. I'm excited about you reading it. Man, guys, today's been great. Uh, that is the end of our birthday edition. Woo! One year Hattie old. Birthday. Hattie birthday. <laughs> <laughs> oh man thanks for filling in today zach you know it was a pleasure to be emily's here. on vacation she's like i don't even know what she's probably at the beach or no nope, chattanooga or nope <laughs> keep, keep, keep going where did they go kentucky kentucky <laughs> who goes on vacation to kentucky have you met kent and emily kent and emily go on vacation <laughs> to kentucky <laughs> but thanks for filling in for her, man it's awesome to be able to share this one year with you bro Really cool, really cool. We're excited to see what God's doing in this and what he's going to continue to do. As always, we want to thank our friend Sleeping at Last for providing the music for this episode. You can download his music anywhere where you can download or stream music, iTunes, Spotify, all those other fun places. Sleeping at Last, thank you so much, man. Thanks for listening to the one-year anniversary of the Nothing is Wasted podcast, and we'll catch all of you guys next episode. See ya. Peace.